Hey Suri, how do I love the most difficult people in my life? Awesome. What just the name of Jesus? Is not not a great song? I mean, that's a question. Did y'all hear that? That's a question. Is that not a great song? Yes, it is. God, it's awesome. And I'm sitting here thinking, you know, this past week, we had a challenge for our church to share what? Jesus, the love of God, to share the, the gospel with someone. And I've already heard stories this morning of people who have been sharing with me conversations that they've had with someone. But that was a, a challenge to our church for us to go out. And a commitment to share the good news with someone. Share, and that's what you're doing. You're sharing Jesus. That there's power in the name of Jesus. There is freedom in the name of Jesus. There is change that comes with Jesus. And so whenever we share that, we, we have that opportunity. And so hopefully you guys have responded. You know, maybe some of you have kind of, you know, maybe you missed it. Maybe you said, you know what, man, that was this week. Man, I haven't shared the, the gospel. Hey, it's another week, right? Right? Another opportunity. Today is another day, another opportunity to share the good news of Christ. And so as we sing that song, that there's something about that name, people need to hear that name. And here's the thing, there, some of you guys have got friends who are asking questions. They're asking questions of you. They're asking questions that are leading you, hopefully, to be willing to share that good news with them. And so I want to encourage you, man, as they ask questions, share with them the answer. Share with them the truth of God's Word. Share with them the hope of the world. We're in a series, we're starting it today, we're kicking it off. And it's talking about, you know, uh, asking for a friend. There are times we have questions, and we're not necessarily sure that we want everybody to know that that's what we're needing the answer to. So we're asking for a friend. But this is one that uh, many of us deal with. It says, how should I deal with difficult people? How should I deal with difficult people? Now, I've got a couple of questions in your outline if you've got one. But I don't want you to answer these out loud. Out loud. So who is the most difficult person you know? And you don't have to answer that out loud. Just think about it for a minute. Just, you know, just kind of contemplate who might be the most difficult person that you have to deal with. Could be a boss, could be a co-worker, could be a neighbor, could be a family member, could be a friend. Maybe not a friend, I don't know. But anyway, whoever that might be, who is the most difficult person that you can think of? And we're going to talk today about how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you deal with the conflict or how do you deal with the, that difficult person? And here's the other one. Who's the most difficult member in your family? So who is the most difficult member in your family? So think about who that might be. You know, and, and so let me just say this. There are times that God reveals things to us and, and, um, uh, and really it's kind of like holding up a mirror. It's kind of like saying, Hey, listen, you just thought it was somebody else, but hey, it's really you. Sometimes the most difficult person is us. You know, I, I thought, hey, a good way for me to prepare for this message is probably to ask my wife, hey, what is it like to live with me? You know what I'm saying? I mean, so it's, it's just one of those things we've got to be willing to say, God, you know, help me to see people as you see them. That's one of the prayers, prayers that we pray all the time around here. But I want to read a passage to you here. It's out of Romans chapter 12. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. 
Pray that God will bless them and be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other and don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. So here is how most of us respond to someone who we consider to be our enemy or someone who is against us or we feel like they don't have our best interest in mind is we will oftentimes slander them. We'll oftentimes attack their character. We'll, we'll share with others things that we think about them that may not be true. We'll hope that they don't get certain things. We hope they lose. We hope that they don't get the promotion. We hope that they get fired. We hope that, you know, something will come, you know, catastrophe in their life. And so we don't, we don't line up with scripture. We line up with what? The flesh. We line up with the world's mentality. And so that difficult person that you thought of a while ago, how many times have you prayed a blessing over them? How many times have you asked for God to bless them and to move in their life? And, you know, and, and that's a tough one. You know, maybe the most difficult person you, you can think of is someone at work that is almost kind of like you're, you know, they're, you're, they're, they're your adversary. I mean, they're, or you're against them. It's like y'all are antagonists. You just always butt heads and they keep getting a promotion and man, you, it just eats you alive. And you're thinking, how in the world are they getting the promotion? And so instead of responding that way, maybe if you were to respond, you know, God, thank you for that blessing in their life. God, I pray you give them more. And that's, that's totally contrary to how we feel most of the time. A lot of times we, we want our enemy to lose, to stumble, to fall, to be disgraced if possible. But Jesus changed that whole teaching. He came with a different teaching. And so he's telling us. Hey, listen, you know, you've got to look at things different. You've got to see people as, as, as I see them, is what God is saying. And so let me read Romans 12 again. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. You know, when we hear a curse, a lot of times we think of a cuss, cuss word. You know, we say, well, you know, he said a cuss word. And a cuss word could be inappropriate language or something that, you know, has been deemed by society as that's a cuss word. You know, and it blows my mind how people, you know, Continue to get looser and looser and looser and looser and more loose, if you will, on what is a cuss word or a curse over someone. And so what it's saying, hey, listen, don't curse someone or don't cuss someone, but to literally pray blessings over them. And what we do is we, we wish for the worst. That's a curse. You know, you tell somebody they can go somewhere. That's a curse. We should, we should never wish that anybody would go to hell. Our thing ought to be, you know what, that meant every person would come to know Christ and go to heaven. Because that's God's desire, is that all men be saved. But it says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. And don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I love that. So here's our grace-filled reaction to difficult people. Because we have to think about how we will react. Because we really can't control other people, Right? I can't control anybody. I can't fix anybody. I can't change anybody. God can. God can change someone's heart. It will show up on the outside. But I can't change anybody. But here's the thing. What I do have control over is how I react to someone who is very difficult. And let me just say this. There's one in every group. When I was doing student ministry, I'd get together with other student pastors and they would say, man, I've got this one kid. I said, dude, everybody has that one kid. Everybody has that one kid. They do. And, and I and I would tell them, I'd say, hey, listen, I believe that God puts those people in our life to teach us how to love anyone and everyone. And, and so I believe that, you know what, God puts people in our life like that. I believe that God puts somebody like that in every church. 
In every church, there's that one person that maybe it's a little bit tough. E.G. or extra grace required. You know what I'm saying? And, and so you have to work hard to love them. And, and so, but there's one. And, and so for some of you guys, hey, man, I got two in my family. You know, so they're everywhere. I'm just telling you they're everywhere. And here's the crazy thing. What if you are that one person? Well, like I said, yeah, you know what? You're the one. I'm going to use you. You know, to help people grow in their grace and their understanding of forgiveness and stuff. And so we don't want to be that person. So our grace-filled reaction to difficult people, here, here's the thing, is that statement up there, Romans 12, 14 through 16. And it starts with our tongue, what we say, starts with our tongue, it moves to our heart, and then to our minds, and then it ends with our behavior. So let me say that again. It starts with our tongue, what we say. It starts with blessings. It starts with speaking life. It starts, starts with speaking truth over someone, God's love. And then it moves to our heart. That our heart is moved by where they are. And then to our minds, we begin to think and focus on things maybe a little bit differently than we have in the past. And then it ends with our behavior. And you might be going, I, I, I thought this was dealing with difficult people. What, you know, what, how about it? It's really, it's about us. It's, God, God is saying, hey, listen, you know, there's going to be difficult people. There's going to be tough times. But it's, hey, how will you respond? So it's about God saying, hey, listen, God, work on me. Change me. God, change the way I react to people. God, change what I focus on. God, change what I dwell on. And God, help me to re- respond and react the way that Jesus would. So how would Jesus respond? So I want us to look at the Sermon on the Mount here. This is Matthew chapter 5. And it's known as the greatest message ever, the greatest sermon ever preached. And so Jesus is a part of it. And so Jesus says, you have heard the law that heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. So that's what Jesus would do. Jesus say, hey, listen, I want you to be a little bit different. I want you to love people, but I want you not to only love the people that love you. I want you to love the people that hate you. I want you to love the people that persecute you. And Jesus modeled that by going to a cross and dying for the soldier that would drive the, the nails in his hands. Jesus would, would ask God to forgive those who were spitting on him and those who were hurling insults on him and cursing him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so Jesus would model what he is telling us. It's not like he's going to say, hey, listen, this is what you guys need to do. But he would live it out. He would model it. And he's telling us, hey, listen, pray for your enemies. Those that were enemies of the cross, those that were enemies of the message of the gospel, Jesus says, pray for them. That we're to stand in the gap, we're to lift them up, we're to hold them up before the Lord, ask God to bless them. And so it starts, it starts with our mouth, or, so our tongue here. It says, bless and don't curse. So speak a blessing over someone, speak a, a prayer over someone, speak life over someone, don't curse. And, and, and so our tongues can get us into trouble more than anything else. You know, uh, some of you guys understand this whenever they say, hey, listen, he doesn't have a good check station. Right. If it pops in here, it pops out their mouth. And sometimes they say hurtful things and the wrong thing. And sometimes they just don't care. And if you don't care, that's the issue of the heart. So the thing is, is we've got to be careful with our words. We always want to build up and help encourage and speak life over people. But oftentimes we just say, you know, I don't care. 
I don't like that person. And, and what we begin to do is we begin to slander. We attack their character. We attack other churches. We attack other beliefs. We att- attack, we attack anything and everything. Because maybe it's not what we believe or what we line up with or what we value. So all of a sudden we begin to say well, it's wrong or whatever. And a lot of times we don't even have the facts. Too often churches will say, well, I don't like that church because of whatever. And here's the thing. There's, there's no competition between churches that are evangelical churches that are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that are teaching the word of God. There's no competition between those. Now, if there's a false teaching out there, then here's the thing. I would say that is the enemy of the cross. And what here's the thing. We don't hate them. We what? We pray for them and we pray for blessings on them. We pray for God to open up their eyes. We pray for the word of God to literally bring them to the truth. And so the thing is, is we don't hate people, but if anything, the Bible says that we're to bless them and to, and to not curse them. And so you think about some of the people that you maybe consider the most difficult person in the world, that may be where you've used your worst language, talking about them, attacking their character, even with things that you don't know. We, we'll often assume that they're this way and we'll throw it out there like it's the truth. And that's gossip. The gossip has done more damage to the church and to the witness of the church than probably just about anything else. And, and people often say, well, you know, how do you know if it's gossip? If you're not part of the solution and you don't really have the answers or the truth, then you're part of the gossip. If you're spreading information, you're not part of the problem or part of the solution. Here's the thing. You're part of the gossip. And you've got to be willing to say, God, I don't want to be a gossip. You know, God, you, you, you address that. You speak against that. So, God, I don't want to be that. So let your tongue be one that speaks life and speaks blessings. Speak life speaks blessings so here's the second thing our heart it says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn this describes a person who cares about others this is someone who cares about how someone feels this is someone who cares about how someone is dealing with something and so we rejoice with those who rejoice we get excited man and we you know we we go that's awesome so here's here's what i'm saying you got a coworker, and both of you are up for a promotion and he gets it and you don't or she gets it and you don't. Instead of you going, I don't understand why they chose him or I don't understand why they chose her, you rejoice with them. And here's the thing, from a genuine spirit, you rejoice and you're excited for them. And, and, and you might want to question, well, I don't know why they got it out. I wonder if they cheated. I wonder what they did beginning and attacking their character. Instead of doing that, you go, you know what, maybe I wasn't ready for it. Maybe I've got to, I've got to grow and I've got to become a better leader. Maybe I've got to have, you know, better expertise in that field. Instead of attacking someone's character, you just choose to bless them and you celebrate that. And it shows that, you know what, you're someone who cares. I, I, I love to see it in sports. I was at a, uh, I've seen ball games where there'll be championships won and, you know, and, and man, there's nothing more defeating and more painful for a, an athlete than to lose in a championship game. And then to see those guys who, who just lost walk over and shake hands and say, hey, great job, great game. You guys earned this. You deserve it. That's class. There's something that's lacking in our culture. But to see those guys walk over and affirm someone and say, hey, listen, you guys did a great job. You, you earned this. That's, that's cool. I, I can remember, you know, teaching, you know, my sons one time. We were at a ball game. We were at a championship game. And, and it was a, it was a baseball game. They're playing for the state championship. And it was a, the first team that was up. You know, uh, or the, the, the team that was the winning the first game, they won the first game. They were loaded. They had a good team. And they get into the second game, and they begin to, to play that second game, and, and they were good. They were really good. They had a pitcher 
man that was throwing in the 90s, and this was down at Biscuit Stadium, and so he'd throw a pitch, and he'd turn around, and he'd look back at the mile-per-hour clock, and it would be in the 90s, and he'd just turn around and smile, like, <laughs> yeah, I got it. You know, I mean, he was good, and he knew he was good. And, and, and so he would, you know, and so they ran out of innings with him. So they had to bring in another pitcher, and then all of a sudden, you know, this, this team, you can just tell there's an arrogance there, there's a cockiness there. They're thinking, we've got this one, and the game's not over. And anyway, they end up kicking a ball around a couple times, and before you know it, you know, they're, they're tied, and then the next thing you know, they lose that ball game. And so they come out in the next game, and you're thinking, all right, well, what have they got left? And they didn't have anything left, and the team that was behind ended up beating them and beating their brakes off in that third game. And so here's the thing. You know, I remember, like I said, sitting there with my sons. I had all three of them. I said, that's what it looks like. And I pointed over to the other team. I said, that's what it looks like to almost win a state championship and quit before the game is done. And I pointed down here to these guys and said, that's what it looks like to win a state championship because you never gave up. And I said, that is awesome. And then I would see these guys go over and begin to, you know, share with these guys. Or these guys would come over and shake hands and compliment each other and hug and embrace one another. And I'm just saying, when you care enough about someone, you go, you know what, man, that is something that we need to do. We need to embrace when someone does something great. We celebrate that. Whenever, and Listen, even if it's the other team, even if it's the enemy is what Jesus is saying. We celebrate. And we mourn with those who mourn. In other words, whenever there's a loss, we mourn with them. And it's caring enough about people to, to be at will and do something, to be dialed into them. And it's not all about you. So let me ask you, do you care enough about people that you'd be willing to die to some of the things that you think are so important so that you see them succeed? So who's the most difficult person? Is it you or is it them? And, and so what we do is we become selfish, we become hard-hearted. And, and, and we, we literally, we pray for them to fail. And Jesus says, hey, listen, pray for them to succeed. Here's, here's the next one, our mind. It says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony with one another. That's coming to an agreement or seeing things in the same way. And let me just say this. It may be that you come to agreement on the things that matter the most. The higher things rise to the top. You know, you know, in other words, you're able to come to agreement, you're able to live in harmony with someone that maybe you even differ with. You know, my wife and I, we, we, we have a home that we feel like is a home of harmony, but my wife is an Auburn fan. Can you all believe that? She's an Auburn fan. I, fi- I figured there'd be a few that would be excited. So Laurie is an Auburn fan, diehard Auburn fan. Uh, she grew up 525 Auburn Drive in Auburn, Alabama. Her dad was professor at Auburn University. She has died in the wool Auburn fan. There's nothing going to change that. Believe me, I have tried. I'm an Alabama fan. And, and, and so, yeah, there you go. So I knew I could stir it up. But anyway, so here's the thing is, I, I'm an Alabama fan. She's an Auburn fan. But you know what? We live in harmony. Because you know what? There's a lot more important things than a football team or a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game or anything. And so we're, we, we're able to focus and live in harmony because of our commitment to Christ, our commitment to our family, our commitment to our covenant marriage, and so those things help us to focus on the things that are higher. And so what we do is we're able to live in harmony and, and, and walk together in agreement. Because there's some things that, you know what, we may differ, but there's things that are more important. So there, here's what I'm saying. There may be some of you guys that you, you don't line up with certain people, and so therefore you almost hate them. But you've got to find, hey, what do you agree on? What is, what is the agreement there to, that you can live in harmony? You know, there, maybe maybe there's some of you in here that you're you're Democrats or you're Republicans or you're Independents or whatever, and you, man, and you almost like hate one another. Well, that's not that's not what the Bible teaches. It says, hey, find the common ground and, and lean into that. 
That's just like denominations. Oftentimes, hey, well, this denomination's this way, and this one's this way. And like I said a while ago, as long as Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and you line it with the teaching of God's Word, churches can get along and be, here's the thing, be partners with one another in the kingdom of God. That's the way we're designed to work. We're, we're designed that way. So here's the thing is we find that common ground. We work together and we partner together to do things. You know, so some of the missions money that we give every month goes to ministries that we don't, may not line up on everything, but we line up on the things that matter most. Because we believe that the gospel being take, you know, taken forward, being shared with people, being preached and taught is important. And so it's important for us to have unity and so our mind, we have to live in harmony with one another. We find that unity. One of the things that we teach in the membership class is one of our values here as a church is that we want there to be unity with diversity. And, and here's the thing. We, we want to be a diverse church, man, that is represented by all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you come from, what your education is. It doesn't matter if you're an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan or whatever. It doesn't matter. But the thing that we unite on is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. We believe that the Word of God will last forever. And a, and a man's soul will last forever in one of two places. A place called heaven or a place called hell. And so we therefore agree as a church to say, you know what? We're going to do everything we can to reach as many people as we can with the life-changing message of the gospel. So we agree to that. There may be differences and diversity here. But we want to be unified. So therefore, that gives us harmony as the body of Christ and harmony as a church. And, and so we have to focus. God, help me to focus on what unifies us. Help, help me to focus on what brings us together. That common thread, our mind. And then here's the last one. Our behavior. It says, don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Our actions. So there are often times that our behavior... We say one thing, but our behavior is different. Like we say we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, but our behavior is we don't share the gospel. Do those line up? No. If we believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, then we're going to be sharing that gospel, that good news, with someone who has not heard it. We're going to look for people that have not heard the gospel so that we can share with them. We're going to do everything we can to present that to them because we believe that it's that important. We believe that it, it, that someone will live for eternity in one or two places, a place called heaven or a place called hell. We believe that. So our behavior ought to back up that we believe that because we say that. So our behavior ought to be that we reach out to people and we care about them and we want to minister to them. And, and so it's one of those things that we believe. But here's the thing. Our belief ought to drive our behavior. So if we believe that, then we behave that way. So if we believe that what Jesus says is true up here, hey, you know what? Man, you don't, you don't hate your enemy. You pray for them then our behavior ought to be different and that we begin to pray blessings over our, our enemy or those who are the most difficult in our life. The most difficult person in your family, you don't hate them, you begin to pray for them. You pray for God to change their heart. You pray for God to change their mind. You pray for God to save them. And here's the thing, if they're already believers, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, then we pray for God's plan to be lived out on how to address that or how to point that out. And so I want us to, you know, just think about that. So our, Jesus is addressing it. He says, hit number one, our tongue. So we speak blessings over them. Our heart, we care about people. We care enough to change how we think. We care enough to change how we react. And then our mind, we focus on that which is praiseworthy. Kind of like in Philippians, we pray, we focus on that which is 
God honoring. We focus on that which lasts for eternity. We focus on that which is kingdom minded. And then our behavior, we're not too proud to enjoy the company of anyone. Doesn't matter what they dress like, what they look like. Doesn't matter what culture they come from. But we say, you know what? We, we care. And so here's the thing is we're, we're willing to cross barriers that the world has put up intentionally to try to keep people divided. What, I mean, I think Satan does a good job of trying to keep people divided. He'll use denominations. He'll use color. He'll use money. He'll use affluence, whatever you want to call it. He'll use whatever to try to keep their, keep division and barriers. But what we've got to be willing to say as the body of Christ is, you know what? We're all one. You know, we, we, we're all together. One spirit, one Lord, one gospel. And so we are one. We, we unite on those things. And we don't look at certain things and say, well, I can't do that. Because here's the thing. We should have the attitude of Christ. And so let's look at what it says in Philippians here. It says, there, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? He's asking a question there. And maybe he's asking that for a friend. I don't know. But he's asking a question. Absolutely, there's encouragement from belonging to Christ. Any comfort from his love? Absolutely. That's, those are resounding yes. Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Absolutely. When we come together as the body of Christ, there's something that cannot be explained that is the power of God at work in us. Are your hearts tender and compassionate? That's a good question. Are they? Are your hearts tender and compassionate towards people? Are you hard-hearted? Are you stiff-necked? Are you mean-spirited? Then make me truly happy by being by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together for one with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. We're about to celebrate that. It's called Good Friday. We're about to celebrate the resurrection, Easter Sunday. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Man, what an awesome passage that is. Is there any encouragement? Absolutely, there is. And if it is, we ought to be willing to share that with anybody and everybody. Is there a great fellowship? Yes. When the Spirit of God enters into a person, man, it changes everything. And there is a kindred spirit among believers. Should be. It should be. And so we should be excited about being together. We should be excited about working together. We should be excited about serving one another. And looking for ways to bless and encourage one another. And here's the thing. And be humble. There are times that we get to the point where we've learned so much of the Bible that we become arrogant. And we begin to look down on those who don't know as much as we do. You know, just knowledge. And there's a certain point where we do become affluent. Maybe we make so much money that we don't really want to hang out with those people who don't seem to have the means to take care of themselves. I remember a, a, a missionary was taking some Americans through a town in South America. And they were looking around and the Americans just kept looking at all the, uh, the squalor. And just the, you know, the garbage everywhere. Trash everywhere. Sewer running raw everywhere. And, and one of them walked by and they looked over at the little kid and the missionary said, you see the, you see the dirt. You don't see the child yet. So what we do is we look at conditions and we look at certain things. But see, God sees the heart. 
And the missionary had learned to see past the dirt to see the child. So the missionary goes over, picks up that child, and begins to hold that child. And you can see it on the Americans going like, ugh. See, I love the fact that Jesus, who was fully God, would humble himself and come here as a slave. Be born to a poor young couple. And then what we see is, man, he was willing to touch anyone. He would, he would be raised, you know, and he would grow in stature among men and in front of God. And I don't know if you know much about leprosy, but leprosy was a disease that literally your, your skin would rot and begin to fall off your, you know, they, people would lose fingers and oftentimes they'd have nothing but nubs left because their fingers and flesh was just rotting and falling off. And, and, and it was such a thing that they would tell them that they had to wear a, a bell around their neck and so they would have to walk through the crowd with a bell on kind of like a cow or a goat or something like that. Not so you, you know, you know, you kind of celebration, but to let you know where they were at so you could avoid them and not have to touch them. And they were also supposed to walk through the crowd going unclean, unclean, so that if you bumped into them, at least they had given you a, a little bit of a warning. But yet Jesus would go and touch these lepers and people were shocked by that. He would touch people who were crippled. And for many in that day, they thought that there was a curse upon them. There was something wrong with them. And they wouldn't want to even touch those who were crippled. But Jesus would touch them and stand them up and say, hey, walk home. So he was humble. Here's a God, the God of the universe, who would literally come and literally dwell among us and touch anybody. So if you're wondering about humility... Jesus modeled that. He, he modeled humility. He modeled humility. He touched anyone. He died a criminal's death. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. I mean, he did what many wouldn't do. He did what no one could do. But here's what I love about that. You know, we, we celebrate Easter. And, and we talk about humility. And we talk about sacrifice all the time here. But here, here's what I would, I would just say. Like Easter weekend, we're doing four services that weekend. And we're doing four services because we believe that, you know what? We, we want to reach people with this message called the gospel. And Easter weekend is a weekend that many people will attend, especially if they're invited. If, 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 they'll, if you'll just invite somebody, they'll come. And so we're going to do a service on Saturday night. We're going to do an early one on Sunday morning at 7.45. And then we're going to do our regular 9 and 10.45. And you might say, well, why would we do that? Because we want to make room for people to be here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you this. We're going to ask you to humbly consider coming to one of the other services or either serving in one of the other services. Why? Because you care about those people. You care about the decisions that they'll make. And we talked about this in here on Wednesday night. We had first Wednesday in here and, and we didn't do another message. We said, hey, listen, let's just try to live out the message we preached last Sunday. And that is that we're going to share the gospel and let's pray. So we prayed for people by name in here on Wednesday night, praying for those that you guys had written down at the end of the service. We began to pray for those names. And so I want to ask you, if you would, to be praying about, hey, who is the one person that God has put on your heart? And maybe it's that difficult person. And instead of... Think about this. Instead of hoping ill for them, you're going to invite them to church on Easter weekend. How cool is that? You know what you're doing? You're, you're, you're praying a blessing over them. You're inviting them to come and hear something that could change your life forever. And so I want to ask you to be praying about who is that person that you can invite to church on Easter weekend. Every weekend we have over 700 people show up here for church. 
What if everybody invites one that's 1,400? What if everybody invited a couple? It just keeps growing. And, you know, and so we want to make room for them. So we'll have that Saturday night service. And so maybe you just need to say, you know what, I'll come and I'll serve. Or either I'll attend that night to make room in the 9 and 1045. Because I want people to be able to come in and not have to feel like I can't find a seat. That's called humility. So you know it's not about me. Someone asked me, said, do you want to preach four services? Do you think I want to preach the same message four times? Not unless it's real effective, you know what I'm saying? But here's the thing is, maybe it'll get better and better and better. I don't know. But here's the thing is, I'm willing to do whatever is in the best interest of the mission of the church. And our, our mission is to reach those who are far from God and to lead them to become faithful followers of Christ. That is our mission. And, and so I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to further the mission. It, God desires humility. I, I've said this before. I've told people, uh, hey, listen, go do a study on pride. Do a word study on pride. Look up scripture and see what it says about pride. Pride comes before a fall. You know, God despises certain things. Look up and see what God says about pride. And then, hey, look up what he says about humility, about being humble. And so look up what God says about humility and humble. Look and see what God desires. He desires brokenness, humility. And so God desires that. And so if we... Can't get anything else today. We go, you know what? Man, I want to have the attitude of Christ that it's not about me. But it's about me even dying to some things, giving up some things so that others might live. That's what he did. Jesus left heaven, left all of his privileges to come here so that we might live. And so maybe we ought to have that mentality. Hey, what can I give up? What can be maybe an inconvenience to me so that others might live forever? That they might hear the gospel and respond. What can I do to help them take those steps towards Christ? Maybe you come and you serve as a greeter or an usher, you know, whatever it might be. You say, you know, what, I'm going to help out wherever I can because I want people to feel welcomed here. One of the things that we've always said, we want people to feel accepted here. That whenever they walk in, doesn't matter what they look like, doesn't matter what, what uh, background they come from. But, you know, they feel like, you know what, these people care about me. Because we do. It's not a put on. It's our heart because we feel like God's changed our heart. And so, therefore, we look at them completely different. So having the attitude of Christ. And then this, this, this next passage here deals with correcting another believer. Oftentimes we refer to the Matthew 18 principle, and that's what this is. And so th- this, you might say, well, what does Jesus say about this? This is, this is Jesus speaking here. It, it says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I'm there among them. All right, so here's what I'm saying is this is addressing believers. You know, what we often do, some of those difficult people that we were talking about, maybe they're not believers. Maybe they don't have the power of God at work in them. Maybe they don't have the presence of God in their life. Maybe they have never put their faith in Christ. But oftentimes, oftentimes, it's not that way. Look at this next statement here. It says strong-willed, hard-headed, opinionated, angry, hurtful, controlling, even dishonest people sometimes show up at church. Do y'all agree with that? I would. <laughs> they do it every Sunday, man. What are you talking about? You know, so here's the thing is there are oftentimes people that, that are believers 
that have gotten either wounded or hurt or his thing just become sinful and selfish. And so they're strong willed. We think hey, that's a good thing. And it can be as long as it's about God's will and not your will. They're hard headed. You know, it's like you can't tell them anything. They're opinionated. Everybody's opinionated. We tell people that all the time. Everybody's got an opinion, right? It's just there's only one that really matters, and that's God's. And so our, ours, you know, our opinions don't really matter. The word of God is what matters and lasts forever. Angry, hurtful, controlling. There are people that, man, they want to be in control at the church. I had a pastor this past week. I was at the hospital this past week with the family, and the guy was telling me, he said, man, he said, Man, we were doing pretty good until we moved into a building. And he said, it's like everybody is jockeying for a position. They want to be in control of the church. So it happens all the time. Hey, we want to be in control. We want to make decisions. We want to do this. And we want to do that. And so what happens is, man, those people walk in the door, right? But they show up at church. And so attendance would be mighty low if we only had perfect people and nobody here that was ever difficult. We're all broken people. I hope you guys know that. We're all broken people. We're all broken people that are being put together and being healed. And God, here's the thing. God is addressing issues in our life. Some of you guys, he's addressing issues in your life today. He's, he's addressing the gossip that you do. He's addressing the slander that you do. He, he's addressing the hate that you have in your heart. So God's working on us. We're all a work in progress. And so let's, let's kind of look at what Jesus has addressed here. He says, number one, go privately and point it out. Go privately and point it out. Now, <laughs> what we often do is we have a tendency to say, you know what, I'm going to go to this person. And we go, but we don't point it out. We, we dance all around the issue. We say, hey, I'm going to go have this conversation. And, and, and everybody's like, hey, I'll be praying for you. And you go and you don't say a word. I remember one time I was at a church. I was serving on staff at a church. And, and there was a big deal that we were dealing with as a church. And, and the pastor was like, you know what, I'm going to address this. I'm going to deal with this. And. He, and so he comes out and he preaches this message about skirting the mountain. And uh, and the whole message, he talked about skirting the mountain and never addressed the issue. And everybody on staff and in leadership is like, I thought you said you were going to address the issue. Nothing was addressed. There was nothing pointed out. And, and so what, what the Bible is saying here is, hey, listen, go and point out the offense. And so when you sit down with somebody, instead of just dancing around the issue and going, uh, you know, well, I kind of hinted at it. No, don't hint at it. It says point it out. Say, listen. This is offensive. This is sin. And so, again, you're going to a believer. You're going to someone who has a kindred spirit, hopefully. Now, they, here's the thing. They may have sin in their life, and, you know, and they're entangled, and they don't see it as sin. But you have got to be willing to say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you, and I'm coming to you as a brother. I'm coming to you as a sister in Christ, and I, am, I, I want to speak to this. And they may hear it, and they may go, hey, listen, man, I want to ask you to forgive me. God, I want to uh, ask you to forgive me. And they may change, and it says, hey, if so, you have won that brother back over, Right? So you are to go and to point it out. Don't dance around it. And, and you don't have to go in like a bulldozer either and say, boom, I want to talk to you about this. You don't have to do that either. And so you think about, hey, how can I prayerfully consider my words? And you sit down with that person, but you address the issue. You deal with it. If you always dance around it, you'll never get anywhere. And too, too many times, even in our relationships with our spouses, we dance around things and we never say anything, but yet we get bitter and angry because they won't address it or they won't deal with it or they won't change. It's because we've never said anything. And so we've got to be willing to point it out. So, so go privately to that person. There are times people come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I want to talk to you about such and such. And I'm like, have you talked to them? And they're like, well, no, I want to talk. I want to run this. By. Well, biblically, you can't talk to me until you talk to them. 
That's what the scripture says. That's the that's the Matthew 18 principle. You go to that person first. If you cannot get resolution, then we can sit down and talk. And, and so the second one there, it says take a witness or two or three. So take someone with you to see what is addressed, to see how it is handled. And, and let me just say this. There may be times you take that witness with you and they watch how you handle it and they may address you more than they address the other person. But you got to be okay with the person who is the witness being able to speak into the situation. To hear it, to speak into it, and hopefully win that person back. And, and so there are times, you know, we have strained relationships with believers. It's, it's addressed here. Here's the third thing. Take it to the church. Take it to the church. Now, it doesn't mean that you say, hey, you know what? All right, I've got this issue with, with, with Lance here. And I'm going to tell you, hey, Lance, why don't you come down here and I want you to stand in front of the church. And, hey, guys, I want to address this with Lance. I'm kidding. You don't have to, man. But uh scared him, man. It scared him bad, didn't it? <laughs> He's like, what did I do? But so that's what the mentality, hey, I'm going to bring this guy down. I'm going to address it. That's not the way it's taught. It's bring it before the leadership of the church. Bring it before the leadership of the church. Yeah, and, and, and so the leadership will hear what is going on. And what they'll say is, hey, listen, all right, this is what the Bible says. It's not about our opinions. Remember, our opinions don't really matter. It's God's opinion. So this is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible teaches. And here's the thing. If you will confess that sin, if you will you know, repent of that sin, you know what? Then forgiveness is to take place and we're able to move forward as the body of Christ. And so it is designed for restoration and reconciliation. It is not about who's right and who's wrong. It's not about winning an argument. It's about winning a friendship back. It's about winning someone's path back that maybe has got off the path. And then here's the last last point. And it makes it very clear. It says, hey, if they won't respond to even what the church has said, be done with them. Be done with them. And you might think, all right, I thought I thought the passage earlier just said to pray for your enemies, to pray. Listen, this is a believer. It just says, hey, listen, you need to pray for them. You continue to lift them up in prayer. You pray, pray blessings over them and you speak life over them. But you don't have to hang out with them. If you're, say you're a believer, man, and you've got another guy that's a believer, and man, he continues to do things that pulls you away, that draws you away, you just need to say, you know what, I can't be around you. Whenever I became a Christian at the age of 19, that first year, I was around some guys that I could no longer be around because they were not pursuing God the way I felt like we should be pursuing. And if I got around them, I tended to want to do what they did, and I just had to be done with that. And it cost me some friendships. But it made all the difference in my relationship with God. So there are times we have to be done and just say, I can't be in that situation or in that relationship. And you're able to, you have to walk away. And let me just say this. Sometimes that could even be family. Sometimes it can be family. It's called tough love. And you have to be willing to say, hey, listen, I can't be around you because of how, you know, we, we do or how you make me respond. And so you don't, they don't make you respond, but how I choose to respond. And so it may, it may be an unhealthy situation. You just can't be in that situation. And so being done, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll give you an example that I had a relationship with my dad. And he was uh, claimed to be a believer, but, man, he, he continued to do things that were destructive to our family. And I wrote him a letter and I said, hey, I love you, but I can't be around you in this situation. And he, he, he read the letter. I was standing there when he read the letter. And he said, you're right. And we had to kind of part ways for a season. And so I'm just saying there comes a point where you have to do that. If you love someone enough and you want to do the right thing, sometimes you have to, be, you have to make a tough decision. And so here, this, these last one, we're going to be done. Next step for, for me today, and maybe for some of you guys, this, these are the steps you need to take. Choose today to bless others and love them. That's a choice you make. We don't have any control over what others do, but what we can do is we can choose on how we respond. So whoever that difficult person is, 
instead of reacting the way that you normally do, maybe today you say, you know what, I choose to bless others. I choose to speak life over them. I choose to pray for them. I choose to love them even though I know they hate me. Even though I know they, see, they want to see me fail, I choose to love them. That's a choice you make. Here's, here's the second one. Choose today to follow God's word as the only pattern for dealing with relationship strain. You're going to have friends that will want to tell you a different pattern. Their, their, their opinion does not matter. It really doesn't. My opinion does not matter if it doesn't line up with the word of God. And so today you've got to make that decision. You know what? I'm going to start dealing with relationships according to Matthew 18. Especially with those that are other believers. I'm going to handle it this way. The Bible even says this, you know, for those of us that want to come in and worship, if we have issues with someone else, or if we know that they have an issue with us, the Bible says, hey, leave your worship, go take care of that, then come back and present your worship. And too often, we just kind of, hey, I'm going to go in, I'm going to worship, and man, you got bitterness in your heart, you got anger in your heart, you got resentment in your heart, or either you know that someone else is, is wounded or offended, and you don't care, you're just going to worship God, that's not the way it's designed. But we're to go to them and make sure... That we're in right standing. And so you work at that relationship. So you choose today to follow God's word as the only pattern for dealing with relationship strain. I don't care what book's out there. If it doesn't line up with God's word, it doesn't matter. So here's another one. Ask God to forgive you for not valuing people as he does. There may be some of you in here today that you came under a little bit of conviction. When you start thinking about the different uh, cultures and society levels that we have. Maybe, you know, it's, maybe you're... you're, you're kind of biased towards and you don't like certain uh, cultures maybe you don't like this this look or maybe it's uneducation now there's a lot of people that have a lot of education they don't like people that are uneducated you know it could be a, a situation of color you know i mean i don't like these people because of color then you got a real heart issue maybe you don't like people because they're affluent you know hey well those rich people or those poor people and you got to be able to say god don't let me value people based on the world standards but god let me value people based on what you have said matters and then the last one there, ask God to forgive you for not forgiving. So God, will you forgive me for not forgiving those who have wounded me and those who I feel like are my enemies? Let me tell you, forgiveness is tough, but I'm just telling you, forgiveness is the beginning of healing for you. Whenever you are willing to say, God, I want to forgive them, it sets you free. Isn't that cool? When I choose to forgive someone else, it sets me free. And there's some of you in this room that there's people in your life that you have been toting around bitterness and anger and resentment and maybe even hatred. You have slandered them. You have attacked their character. You've done everything you can to destroy them verbally in front of other people. And maybe today you just have to say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me for not forgiving them. If God can forgive us, we've got to be willing to forgive others. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes and... And maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Let me just tell you this. A lot of what I've talked about today is the plan that God gives us. But there's no way that you can truly forgive people and pray for them without the power of God at work in you. So this plan will not do all that you want it to do unless you have the power of God at work in you. The presence of God at work in you. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just to put your faith in Christ. And so maybe you're here today and you've never, you've never received Jesus Christ uh, for, for salvation. You've never put your faith in what Jesus did on the cross and, and in the tomb and in the power of the resurrection. You've never put your faith in him. You've been trying to earn your way to heaven. You've been trying to be good enough. You've been trying to go to church enough. You've been trying to do whatever you can to get into heaven. And he said, hey, listen, it's not about what you do. It's what I've done. It's about you putting your faith in what I've done. And so Jesus has paid the way for you to have salvation 
He has paid the way for you to be in right standing with God. You just have to receive the gift of salvation by faith. Stop trying to earn it. Just receive it by faith. And here's the cool thing is whenever you receive Jesus by faith, the very presence and power of God is in you. And it allows you. It allows you to be able to pray those blessings over others and not curse. It allows you to care about others because he's changed your heart. He's put his presence in your heart. It allows you to find harmony. It allows you to find harmony with others because he's changing your mind day by day. And as he changes those things, he will change your behavior. But it's only by the power and the presence of God. If you're here today and you want to put your faith in Christ, it's just saying, Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. Jesus, I ask you to come and live within me. Jesus, I want to be your child. I want to walk and live according to God's word. By faith, we are saved. Father, I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you that you care about the people in our life. You care about how we treat the people in our life. God, I pray that you would start with us. We're the most difficult people to deal with. God, change us. Change how we speak. Change how we think. God, change our heart. Change our behavior. God, only you can bring about lasting change. So God, I pray for our church. God, that we would be a church who would reach out to those who don't know you. God, I pray for Easter Sunday, even today. Father, for what you will do that weekend. I pray that we would reach out to those who don't know you. God, we would share the story that we have. But God, we'd also bring them here to hear the greatest story ever told. The story of Jesus. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.